Hello and welcome to Rocket Accelerated Geek Conversation. This episode is brought to you by Trade Coffee. I'm Simone Rochefort, supervising video producer at Polygon, and I'm joined today by Brianna Wu, executive director of Rebellion Pack. Woo! Yeah, Christina is not with us this week. She's on a business trip. She she picked a bad week to miss Simone. I like know. there's a lot of stuff. Like there's the Verge redesign, which she is obsessed with. Oh my god! Uh, the, there's yeah. the the iPhone. Uh, the iPhone reviews came out. Just a mm-hmm. bad week to miss overall. Yes, and of course, a special guest as well yes. coming up in our dessert segment. Do you, do you want to tease that a little bit for our listeners? Because this was all you, you're doing. So, you know, I am obsessed with pinball, and uh, we have the designers of one of my very favorite uh, games, which is Halloween. Uh, he's going to be on the show today, and it's going to be a really interesting chat about how you actually design a pinball game when you don't have hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah. <laughs> and then coming up in our Rocket Booster segment for uh, subscribers, we're going to be chatting about horror movies. Uh, and I'm going to get dragged over the coals, as I always <laughs> do when we talk about movies. I mean, it's fair, Simone. You, know, you <laughs> have linked to the past and horror movies. You know, you got to get, it's nearly a decade of doing the show. You I've seen get some classics. <laughs> All right, but let's let's get into the iPhone because we've got a few topics to cover yes. today. Uh, and yes. now, of course, so last week we talked about the Apple event, Christina and I. I know that uh, you both have ordered iPhones and yep. yours has been delayed. So we personally do not yet have hands on with the iPhone. However, for viewers have had the week to play around with it. Um, and the verdict that I've seen has been pretty positive out there. What do you think, Brianna? Well, okay, before we cover that, I just want to take a note and say we had a bet on Rocket two years ago that Uh I would not be able to withstand buying the last-gen iPhone for a whole year, and I told you (gasps) to, like, make me give $500 to a charity if I was weak and broke and bought an iPhone, and I did not. So thank you, Simone. You saved me $1,000. Oh, my gosh. Did you forget about that? I did forget about it, but that's great. I'm happy for you. I mean, I'm sad for for charity. (laughs) It's really a bad day for charity. That's true. That's true. You you stole $500. Well, my willpower stole $500 from a worthwhile cause. I'm so proud of you because for so many years on this show, I think like since since we started doing it, you know, this show is kind of the reason why I got an iPhone. I think I would have obviously done it eventually because it was around the time that all of my peers started getting smartphones. But hearing you two enthuse about iPhones and knowing that you were both in this kind of yearly cycle of buying them uh, pushed me into it. And then I, of course, enjoyed my my own time in the yearly cycle. And I feel like now, universe, not universally, but as a as a culture, both uh, phone consumers and also phone manufacturers have had to reckon with the saturation of smartphones in the market and the fact that people are not taking part in that yearly upgrade cycle as frequently. Um, and I'm proud of you, Brie, for for taking a year off 
And of course, now you're back in it to win it. So <laughs> no, no, no. I, I'm going to do this from now on. I mean, unless it's really something worth upgrading for. And uh-huh. when we get into the review, it's, you know, we'll talk about where it is. But yeah, 100%. Like I missed nothing this year by just setting it out. Yeah. Uh, my camera was fine. My battery life was fine. Performance was fine. It yeah. was 100% fine. So. And now it sounds like you're you're really going to be getting something that is uh, a bit different, or at least the beginning of something different. So well, this- Well, I'm not sure about that. Like, let's okay. get into the Yeah, I'm, I'm about to yeah. list uh, yeah. some, some of the things, the qualities of this phone before we get into a little more granular details. So, of course, the iPhone 14, 14 Pro, and 14 Pro Max- uh, are doing away with the notch for this dynamic island thing. Um, they've got improved cameras and battery life, as always. Uh, the Pro's got this always on display. Also, eSIM uh, compatibility in the United States, doing away with the physical SIM tray. Um, and I think those are those are some of the, the big changes that we are seeing. Uh, satellite SOS calling as well. Um, which is coming later this year is not present now. So I, what, since we didn't have you on the show last week, Brianna, what was, I guess, your initial knee-jerk reaction to to the keynote before we get into these reviews? Can, can I just be honest with yeah. you? Purple. Yeah, okay. I, I'm psyched about Fair enough. purple, <laughs> and I'm j- just going to get real with you. I, I, I like the bright color, and that's honestly why I bought it. Yeah. I'm sorry, it's so shallow, but it's true. Um, you know, it it seems like like Apple. How many years can I say this? Like Apple comes on, they make huge promises about the camera being totally different. You look at the Verge review; it's not. Yeah, it's just not. Uh, it's just a camera. Know. I don't think we're. I mean, ha- unless they make a camera that freaking takes photos of the moon that look like what my eyes see. I no longer care what a camera does because all the cameras are really, really good. Well, you know, with with this, they, they keep saying it's like, oh, 48 megapixel sensor, 48 megapixel sensor as opposed to 12. Well, because it's got, uh, you know, pixel binning in it. Uh, basically, you're using four of those pixels to cram as much light into one sensor. So you essentially still have a 12 megapixel camera <laughs> that's picking up more light. And, you know, the the the, the pictures, they just don't look radically different from the iPhone 13. They, yeah. they don't. So um, that's cool. Like it, it will probably be better in my 12 a little bit. Um, you know, the dynamic Island, they say uh, it is a great concept for multitasking, but it's not really uh, totally cooked at this point. And we need uh, you know, the, basically the third parties that can do notifications in that tray to come forward and do that work. It's not done yet. So, okay. But that is one of the things that I'm personally really excited about and where I yeah. think that the, the phone is going in an interesting direction. Like last week, Christina and I, I, I think we ended up at like, this is uh, fine as a keynote. Like it's, it, it, it's moving the needle a bit, but we're not like, wow. Yeah. Except when it comes to purple, but I do really like the idea of the dynamic Island. And like you said, I am excited to see what third party developers are going to do with it because they are opening it up. Uh, it, they are opening up the API to third party developers to basically like make this stick 
as a concept. And I think that that's where we could really see interesting things being done with it. Even so, even in its kind of, I guess, truncated state, um, this sort of shape-shifting pill taking the place of the notch on the screen of the phone, I do really like what I see about the way that it's working. Like, it, it does seem, The Verge describes it as basically like, taking some of the pill-shaped indicators that the iPhone currently uses. Like when you're in a call, there's that like green uh, pill-shaped thing on the top of the screen that says, hey, you're in a call. Uh, When location services are active, there's a little blue thing for that. Uh, Taking those and just putting them in this one kind of dynamic shape-shifting, stupidly named widget, essentially. And thinking about it like a permanent widget on the face of my phone does intrigue me more i think because it, it it's a, a deepening of the interactivity with the phone and i already really like some of the ways that my iphone has you know started doing app in app things like now when i close youtube and uh or rather yeah yeah youtube and the the videos continue playing when i'm in in other apps i i really appreciate and enjoy that um and sort of expanding that functionality is pretty exciting to me, I think, especially, like I said, once third-party developers get their hands on it. No, I don't know if you've seen some of the things, like they have Pong, where they're uh, shooting it up at the top of the screen. It's hitting the dynamic island. It's like liquid splashing with I it. I haven't like, seen like, that, but that's so oh, cool. it's so cute. It's so cute. I, I, I think it'll be, it, it will be interesting. So, But that really, at the core of it, that's a it's a software thing, right? Yeah. Like... As far as a reason to buy a new iPhone, like the other feature is like the always on display. I don't know what your wallpaper is, but mine is that picture of Patty Hearst where she's brainwashed and she's got the machine gun. Oh my God. Yes. I don't know if I want that on all the time, like showing it to people. Have I told you my really embarrassing phone wallpaper story? No, no. Tell me this. I hope I, I, I. I I don't even know if I should be telling this. I, at one point, um, so I was on an airplane. I was flying somewhere, possibly to Korea to visit my wonderful friend Elizabeth. I don't remember. And a guy was walking by my seat and he asked me like, hey, what time is it? And I, you know, turn my phone to him. I turn on the display and I show him the display so that he can see the time. And I bring it back to me. He's like, okay, thanks. And then I remember that I have as my phone background as a fun, fun joke a piece of hentai art of an <gasps> anime character. <laughs> and I've just done a little bit of a, a crime to this man, this innocent man. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I, I hope, I don't even know if he, like, because sometimes you see something and you don't, like, fully grok what it is that you're seeing. <sighs> I hope that... For the love of God, I had notifications on the screen that the the time was covering some important details, perhaps, of what was depicted there. I anyway, so the po- as you were saying, an always on display. What a concept. Do you have you used a, a phone that has an always on display before? No. No, okay. I don't know what the point is. I don't understand what the point is either. And I like it sounds obviously the display is much darker, you know, than, than a fully lit display would be, uh, in the reviews they were describing, like, you know, showing the time or something. I, I just don't 
really, to me, I'm not really seeing the appeal of having an always on display. And they also said in the Verge review that it did to them feel like it, the battery drained faster than it should have. Um, even though Apple has said like, no, it shall be fine for the battery. In fact, it is good. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I just, I, I don't understand the use case. Maybe someone should tweet at me and explain I mean, it to me. <laughs> when I sleep, my, I put my phone in a MagSafe, uh, anchor puts it. out this thing. That's like a, a, a pod and you, you stick it to it. Like it's a magnet. And it's like in my face all night. I I don't want that on. Do you know what I mean? Okay. Uh, Wikipedia says, an always-on display may display a set of recent push notifications in place of a notification tone or LED signal, as well as information such as the time, date, and battery status of the device. I don't care. (laughs) 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 Like, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I, well, I, we'll see. I'll have mine on Friday and yeah. we will have a full review of it. Uh, I do want to say everything we're talking about is for the pro. Uh, the reviews of just the normal iPhone uh, came out. And uh, basically the message is there's almost nothing to upgrade in the, the normal iPhone 14. Mm-hmm. Just as Grim. far as there's less bang for the buck than usual. So uh do with that information what you will. We will leave a link in the uh, in the show notes to both those uh, reviews. Yeah, I mean, honestly, even more reason or less reason for me, a uh, normie iPhone user, to upgrade in <laughs> that case. Um, Brianna, let's chat a little bit about eSIMs before we before we kind of move on today. Yeah. So the eSIM thing, uh, I will say just to repeat myself from last week, I initially had kind of a negative knee jerk reaction to, and then as I read more about it, I understood that it is kind of where Sims are moving in the future as a whole. And that it did have, I guess, a lot of use in terms of just being able to swiftly and easily switch from one to another and possibly, you know, have a a business and personal line on the same phone, that kind of thing. Uh, And according to the Verge's review, he was able to, in this case, useful for Neelai because he was able to seamlessly transfer his information to the new phone over Bluetooth um, and also add Google Fi through the web. Um, they pointed out, of course, like it could be a challenge if you need a physical SIM for traveling and you're, of course, a U.S. iPhone purchaser. But it does seem like it works and it seems to be the future. Uh, do you have any feelings on eSIMs? I I don't. I think it's it's two competing trade-offs, right? Like mm-hmm. it, it does take up physical space on the phone. Uh, so getting rid of that is good. Uh, on the other hand, you are getting more lock-in with, uh, with your cell phone company. Yeah. So that's bad. Um, yeah. yeah, this stuff is about trade-offs. It doesn't surprise me Apple is doing it. Uh, am I looking forward to calling Verizon? Uh, if there's a problem transferring it, not really. Uh, but I'll deal with it. That's that's basically my thought. All right. So are you looking forward to Friday? Uh, I guess. It's, I, it's not really that exciting to get a new iPhone these days, is it? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I sound so bad, but I just... It's it's just a thing you got to do. Right? <laughs> I think it would be exciting for me at this point, because as we discovered last week, when I finally remembered what kind of iPhone I have, I am still on the 11. Um, oh, wow. And I'm not upgrading because it's she's still good. She's still going yeah. strong. 
but it uh, mine is a twelve. I could very yeah, yeah. easily go another year with it. You know, that's the so. thing, and I I kind of want to see how long I can go because obviously. Um, my friends who I was in Italy with a couple weeks ago did witness me drop my phone and then step on it accidentally. Oh. Um, <laughs> and if we were sponsored by Case Defy, this is where I would lead into that. But <laughs> she's fine. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I- I'm still going strong with it. And I'm kind of uh, thrilled and tantalized by the idea that, like, just as when I first got an iPhone and it was exciting and this whole new world opened up to me when I do finally upgrade question mark whenever that whenever my phone dies or I finally kick it into the ocean, um, it's going to be really exciting and it's going to be meaningful instead of just like, oh, I have a slightly better camera and it doesn't lose battery as fast in the cold weather. You know, <gasps> there we go. There, there we, we go. go. I, I am excited about my new AirPods. Uh, I did oh, order yes. those. And you know, my watch is three years old at this point, and the battery is not great in it. So mm-hmm. I, I'm looking forward to those more than the, uh, the iPhone, to be honest with you. And I can't wait to talk to you about them when you get them. We will do it. This episode of Rocket is brought to you by Trade Coffee. Every day is precious, and we should all make the most of every one. They shouldn't start with mediocre grocery store coffee. You deserve to start your day with the best coffee that you can make at home from Trade Coffee. Trade Coffee is a coffee subscription service unlike anything you've tried before because they partner with it top independent roasters to freshly roast and send the best coffees in the country directly to your home on your preferred schedule. Your trade experience can be as simple or as sophisticated as you want. If you know what you're looking for already, you can quickly select from curated collections by roast, flavor profile, brewing method, and more. Their team of experts do all the work, taste testing hundreds of coffees from across the U.S. every month to create over 450 exceptional coffees that make the cut. I love saying the word coffee. I do think it sounds really nice. It actually functions like in a Pavlovian way with me where when I hear the word coffee, I'm like, dang, I should make coffee. If you also want want something curated just for you, take a minute and complete Trade's coffee questionnaire. You will be expertly matched with your perfect coffee and a fresh bag of beans will be on its way. Uh, I've been subscribing to Trade uh, with my own personal money, I should say, after doing the free trial that they gave me for a few months now. And I have meandered my way through several different kinds of coffee because I'm just enjoying what I get. Currently, I'm working my way through uh, Nebula, which is a dark roast uh, from Mother Tongue Coffee, a brewer in Oakland, California. Uh, It's strong roast. It's it's like a a medium dark roast, but the meter that I'm looking at, it's almost full all the way on roast level. Uh, The taste is described as comforting and rich. Uh, it's super honey sweet and full bodied, a comforting cups, rich chocolatey notes, and a hint of roast that will satisfy any sweet tooth. Uh, I'm not getting too much sweet from it, honestly. I'm just getting like a really deep, uh, delicious roasty coffee flavor, uh, which is what I personally look for and what I have described to them as, as what I want. And they have not let me down on that. Uh, but if they did, I would be able to say, Hey, Try again, and they would send me a new bag, because that's what they do. Trade is the easiest way to get your very best-tasting coffee delivered fresh, just when you need it. And you've got nothing to lose, because Trade guarantees you will love your first bag. If not, 
They'll work with you to replace it for free. So if you want to support small businesses and brew the best cup of coffee you've ever made at home, it is time to try Trade Coffee. Right now, Trade is offering our listeners a total of $30 off your first order, plus free shipping at drinktrade.com slash rocket. That's drinktrade.com slash rocket for $30 off your subscription to the best coffees in the country. Our thanks to Trade Coffee for their support of this show. Yay! Hey, let's talk about some animation uh, shenanigans. So all the shows I love to watch, like Summer Camp Island, uh, maybe we should do like a, a segment on that show on Rocket soon. What do you think about that? Sure. Why not? Uh, I'll just dial it up right here. Yeah, and, just pull it up. Oh my God. What? What happened? <laughs> it's gone. It's gone? It's gone from HBO Max. Simone. It's, it's van- not here. Content vanishing from HBO Max. Well, let me let me check in on on Netflix. Maybe they they've got some some good animation on that service. Uh, I heard that they have some exciting new shows coming out. Perhaps. Oh wait a minute, Bree. What? They, they they've been canceled. Oh no! Oh my god! And according to Deadline, Netflix is laying off thirty more employees on the animation <laughs> team as part of an ongoing <laughs> overhaul of their animation department. <laughs> wow. Okay, so we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the the state of animated shows in the streaming right now, which is kind of chaotic. It's a mess. It's, it's a, a mess. real mess. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, sorry to deliver that in such a, a jokey manner. Netflix is laying off 30 people um, uh, again. Uh, Deadline says in their write-up of this that it doesn't signal a downturn in Netflix's commitment to animation. Although, as we'll discuss... Uh, it's a little bit chaotic right now. According to Variety, four animated project, projects at Netflix have been canceled, and many other shows that have, you know, have been canceled after their first season as part of Netflix's uh, new love, not new love, years-long love now for just canceling things right and left with no indication of how they're performing against their uh, peers and why. In general, it is a confusing and weird time for animated shows because these layoffs and cancellations follow the chaos over at HBO Max following uh, the merger between Discovery and Warner Media that left David Zaslav in charge of the company. In August, after their uh, disastrous lovely earnings call, 36 shows were were removed from HBO Max, of which 20 were animated shows or children's shows. Uh, We discussed this when it happened because the Batgirl movie was part of the cancellations that happened alongside this. We talked about how that movie was canned even though uh, the principal photography was finished. The animation situation is arguably like just as bad and strange uh creators of these animated shows weren't given any notice before their shows were removed from the platform and while some of them are available on other platforms others like infinity train have essentially been nuked from existence uh in the case of infinity train which according to observer was the fourth most viewed hbo max original in 2020 uh not only was the show taken off hbo max They deleted all of the social posts about it. They deleted the pilot from their YouTube channel. They deleted the Spotify soundtracks that they created to be listened to alongside the show, which is so weird because, like, theoretically what's happening here is that HBO Max is trying to save money on paying residuals to creators. But this has nothing – like, an old promotional tweet has nothing to do with that. Like, who's searching – 
HBO Max's Twitter for Infinity Train and then going, wait a minute, I can't watch this. I mean, me, apparently, because that was a really, really good show. But it's another instance, I think, both of impermanence in the streaming industry when it comes to, you know, the art and content that is being created. And then also a peculiar focus on, you know, children's children's programming, which is valuable and and creative uh, in its own right. Bree, what was your initial reaction to uh, this kerfuffle? Oh, God, I I have so many thoughts about this. I mean, uh, I I guess the, the, the core of it is like, obviously, this merger between Discovery and HBO, it's it's just been an S show. Like it's it's terrible. Um, you know, like you look at the canceling of Batgirl, it, it, it makes no sense, uh, particularly considering like Brandon Frazier is having like a, yeah. a resurgence right now. And you've got the other guy that's in uh, that that Batgirl movie. Like it's just part of this uh, this pattern, poor decision making. I, I think the bigger issue here is, you know we've really become so gluttonized on these streaming services without Mm -hmm. really thinking about how to pay the people to actually make the movies and content that we enjoy. Right. And the truth is like those contracts for them getting paid, they are very nebulous. Um, I don't know if you know this, but the, the editors and the, the people behind, uh, streaming services, uh, they just went on strike, uh, uh, this summer, last summer rather, uh, because they wanted to get some residuals with streaming services because it wasn't built into the contracts. Mm So, you know, I, I think it's, it's, it's a real, double standard because we all want to like pay that $20 a month for Netflix and then get all this content, which is a great bargain, but you're also not funding any of these TV shows that, that people watch and depend on like the way that it did when it was on broadcast television. So in some ways, like, it is bad management, but it's also the fact that we just don't buy our own copies of media anymore and the market's trying to adjust to that. Yeah. And so I think on top of that, uh, animation writers specifically, I believe, uh, have have been uh, making moves because they are just paid so much less than writers of, of live action content. And it's like not really a different job (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. uh i i remember reading a bit about that this summer and they've talked about it a bit on script notes but to speak i guess about digital digital media specifically you're you're totally right and one of the strange situations is that you know when we were when we were young all of this would just kind of de facto be available on vhs or dvd and in the case of something like infinity train it's just not Um, and we're getting to a point where when, if these things disappear from their original streaming platforms where things are so impermanent, there's not really a, an alternative other than piracy for watching them. And in fact, like the creator of infinity train basically said like, Hey, go, you can go pirate my show, I guess, because it's just not here anymore, which is Absolutely. I mean, as a as a person, you know, who who has written things, 
I would prefer that people freaking pay me for them. <laughs> and, uh, but, but, you know, when you get into a situation like that, you know, there isn't, as far as we know, I don't know what the right situation for an inter- infinity train is, but that's what the creator has said. And it, that's just so depressing to me. Did you watch infinity train, Brie? I, I didn't see that, but it's not really a new situation though. Yeah. Is it like, I mean, uh, we don't have a lot of the early episodes of The Tonight Show because they would record it and then they would just record over it the next day with that tape and not archive it. It's just lost for all time. Mm-hmm. Like There are all kinds of shows from the 90s that never had a release on a VHS right, or on DVD, right? Yeah. So they're just gone to time. I mean, there's all kinds of television and media historically it's been very hard to get content uh, i think that's definitely true but i think what's different now is that storage is so relatively accessible and affordable compared to like say if they were you know filming episodes of the tonight show and storing them in a a sealed vault like that's that's expensive that's expensive and it's you know unscripted you know daily content that's a little different um yeah it it it's really tricky. I but certainly, you know, as a as the creator of a a small animated TV show that was v- very popular on on HBO Max and uh was just quite different from anything that I've, you know, seen since Adventure Time came out initially. Uh it, it's it's weird that something like that just is currently kind of, you know, eh, find it i guess good luck what was it about by the way (laughs) okay so it is about this infinite train um and kids from our world you know going through strife get sucked in onto this into this alternate universe where every single one of these train cars is a different world and they're basically just trying to go through uh, growth and uh, self-fulfillment to find their way back to the their world um, and escape this infinite train that is designed to teach you lessons. So it, it combines, I, I think, some things that I really love from children's media, which is just like a, a very surreal but contained environment, like this this train that has, you know, an organization or people that operate it, uh, but then also the infinite possibility of any any train car can be can be something totally different. Um, and what it did really really well, I thought, was you know, season one focuses on on one specific kid who ends up on the train, but then the subsequent seasons each pick up a side character from Ooh. a previous season. So it wasn't just like surprise new kids every season. It's, you know, building on these characters that you've seen before but maybe in an antagonistic context. Um yeah. and now they're the hero. So I I just I it's really funny, really weird, uh really creative and and delightful and I I would recommend that people watch it, but you can't. <laughs> See, this is where I I really feel uh, the answer is like unionize your workplace, right? Like because you know, we can sit here and say like, well, they just need to pay them residuals and and make this mm-hmm. uh, a mm-hmm. priority, right? But that's uh, the reality. Yeah, it's not enough. Uh, in developing the Gamergate television show, I've seen enough about Hollywood to know <laughs> that you get uh, 
good good intentions are not going to carry the day here. Um, <laughs> you know, like you, you need you need those contracts, right? I mean, and I think you need to you need to fight for that. And I think we as consumers of this content need to be aware when our favorite things are delayed uh, because the people making it need to be paid fairly. To me, that's what seems like it's the answer here. Yep. Yep. I totally agree. Um, especially since, you know, Netflix is Netflix is a tech company that's become a media company, essentially. Um, and media, specifically Hollywood, has a very deep history of unionization. And it's not perfect, as we can see with the discussions that people are having around assistant pay and also animation uh and and certainly this year, uh, 3D artists, so C- CGI, riotously underpaid, especially even and especially when it comes to like Marvel movies. These yep. people are working so, so hard um, and, you know, basically <laughs> uh, bartering with Disney to see who can get paid the least to make the biggest movie and do the most work. And it's absolutely nuts. Um, so anyway, a long, long story short, a long way to go, obviously, but Hollywood does have a very, it's a robust union town. And, um, I think when it comes to these tech companies and streaming platforms, I, I hope that we can see that spirit sort of infiltrate Silicon Valley because it's important. And obviously I think we all want to see, see where unionization efforts can go within the tech industry as well. Yeah, I'd love to see written into those contracts, like requirements to leave it on the service. Like it's clear you can't trust them just to do that automatically. Or reversion of rights and like full reversion of rights and uh, no, you know, window of of competition, especially if it's just not going to be available. I love it. All right. Brianna, would you like to skip directly to our dessert topic for the day? Yes. Well, let's get in there. All right, for our third topic of the day, we have a very special guest and a very special topic. It's pinball. It's been quietly there this whole time, unlike the siren that is outside my house right now. Uh, This whole time you've been playing video games, but pinball (laughs) has been there. And recently with the pandemic, it's had a huge resurgence with people buying games and playing them at home. The biggest company by far is Stern Pinball. They are practically a monopoly, but down in Benton, Wisconsin, a small company is shipping games based on horror franchises. They're known as Spooky, and their big title right now is Halloween, based on the 1978 John Carpenter film. Brianna Wu, my esteemed colleague, owns this game. She is obsessed with it. She cannot stop playing it, and she has invited one of the developers of said game, Bug, here on Rocket Today to talk about developing indie pinball games. Bug, welcome to Rocket. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I'm really excited to hopefully answer absolutely everything you guys ask, so... So, yeah, you know, one of the things I find really interesting about Spooky is, yeah, I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm a former independent uh, game developer. So when we do independent games, uh, it's like the scope of the game 
alters in proportion to your resources, right? Like if you're developing a 3D asset, you don't have someone do a ZBrush pass or do you know what I mean? You're, you're just not shipping a product that's on par with AAA. Uh, but with Pinball, what I find so interesting about Spooky is you have the same development costs of like the giants out there with a hundred times more money yeah. and you've got to ship a cabinet and you've got to support it and you've got to do the electrical engineering and you've got to develop the software. So I already I just appreciate ask, that you recognize that. Yeah. <laughs> so I just want to ask from the beginning, like how do you ship a title of this quality that is as good as something that Stern is doing with what I assume is, is less of the budget. Like walk me through that process of being an independent uh, pinball shop. You know, we joke all the time in our, cause like the, the joke with Halloween is the, the design team is chorus Barloff, which is not one specific person because it's not designed by one specific person. It's designed by a committee of us that are all at spooky pinball. And it's the ones who have been there for a very long time, who have always been involved behind the scenes, sometimes, you know, on the scene where everybody can see and whatnot. We joke all the time that that team of guys, like we just look around the room and we're like, it's just us in here. We're, we're, we're doing this. (laughs) And then we look over at Stern and we're like, they have like, 200 years of experience over there (laughs) and we're trying to put out a product to everybody and we're trying to do our best to match the quality that like Stern and Jersey Jack pinball do and whatnot and uh it's not lost upon us that that is the case like we have to try and match that quality just with like our our guys here who haven't been industry giants for 30 years or anything like that like these other companies have and uh, I, I, we're all very proud of that for sure. We're all very proud of ourselves for somehow finding a way to to keep up with those guys. I mean, obviously Stern and JJP are, are significantly larger companies than us, but the fact that we're in the conversation with them now is is really crazy to us, and we're incredibly grateful for it. And we're going to keep trying our absolute hardest to stay right with them. No, I you you totally have. And what I think is so impressive about Halloween is you know, you you obviously don't have the toys of like Godzilla uh, mm-hmm. Premium is another game I have or uh you know, uh Alien by Pinball Brothers is one I just got a couple of days ago. We've got both you those games. Have, <laughs> yeah. I, we don't, we don't, you don't have those big toys like that. Like you don't have an alien jaw, but what you do have is a really, really, really elegant rule set for the game. And you have a shooting experience that is really, really dialed in for pinball players. I think that, that really like uh control. So, I mean, is that, what are kind of the, the hallmarks that you're going for with your style? You know, a big thing with that design is like we are very aware that some of our previous games have been incredibly challenging. Just uh, Alice Cooper's a, it's a tough shooter. Rick and oh, Morty's a pretty brutal game. TNA is the most brutal game we've ever made. <laughs> and we've really, I mean, with the numbers that we knew we were going to be shooting for in this one, we wanted to make it more accessible to a lot of people to enjoy because uh, 1,700 people with like a, a game as brutal as TNA, it's. It's a lot harder to pitch that than 1,700 people with the controlled shooter that Halloween and Ultraman is. So having elements of the game that are still pretty damn hard, but 
giving the player the control to at least go after those a bit more smoothly, it, it was a huge part of that design. Like, without a doubt, we just wanted to make sure people could get control of the ball and have more than one chance at getting things. Because, like I said, our, our games have been notoriously brutal before. <laughs> so that was definitely a big part of it. And and people still do expect a level of brutality, especially when you pick horror themes as your titles. Because the whole thing with mm-hmm. horror is they are brutal movies sometimes. And like Michael Myers is a brutal serial killer. So he the game has to beat you up at times. Like it needs to feel like you're really battling Michael Myers. So trying to combine and marry all those things, we knew that the layout was going to be pretty easy and we could make it pretty tough in the code and the rules. So that, that's that's the angle we take on that. Can I ask a, a pinball novice question? Absolutely. And forgive me for saying this. What's what is a rule set when it comes to pinball? I don't actually right. know. <laughs> so Hit a me rule up. set, yeah. So a rule set. I mean, basically, uh, one of my friends, uh, one of our coworkers, uh, the guy who writes all the rules now for Spooky Pinball, Luke Peters, was explaining to me that you should be able to say like the gist of what a game is in like ten seconds. 20 seconds, but you should be able to explain the rules to the game for like half an hour. Like they Mm. should be pretty complicated, but everybody should get the idea of what the game is. So like in a game, like let's say Rick and Morty, the gist of it is you're going on adventures as Rick and Morty and like replaying out the episodes. Like that's just the gist of it. So Mm -hmm. to get like super into the, the details of it, you have your certain modes that do specific things. So you have your ball locks that you lock one ball, you lock two balls, you shoot the scoop or hit the drop targets, can't remember which it is, and then you get your Gromopulite <laughs> multi-ball. And so like a rule set is typically a sequence of modes, like say six to like nine or ten modes that you try to complete. And then when you complete all those, there's a grand wizard mode that's like the final, I guess you could say boss battle of the game. So like in Monster okay. Bash, you would collect each of the band members and their instruments, and then you get to play the super huge show at the end of it. So there's an objective of like, we got to collect these band members. We got to tour this mansion in the Adams family. And then once you do that basic objective, which is usually multiple modes of like different shoot, these specific shots, those specific shots. Once you get through those, then you have your grand like wizard mode of it all where you get the payoff and the, the final like battle of the game per se. Okay. And it, it it develops as the game is out, like players give feedback to Bob, yep. like we'll talk yeah. to him on pin side, say we like this, we don't like this. And then yep. sometimes wow. those suggestions end up in the, the next version of the code. More often One than not, they really, end up in, yeah. yeah, more often than not. Yeah. Well, I mean, depending on how hard they are to implement. Yeah. Some of them are <laughs> stupid on yeah. pin side. But... <laughs> Some suggestions are like, yeah, that's not happening. But, <laughs> but no, what I wanted to say is, you know, I, f- I find it so interesting with your company. Like, you look at your first games that you shipped, like Jetsons, I think. How many was that? It was like a couple of hundred mm-hmm. or Alice Cooper. And then, you know, Halloween uh, slash Ultraman. Like, it's it's... It's a much, much bigger game. Like y'all are moving in the right direction. I I wanted to ask you about like, you know, just the development environment for this. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, for me as an indie game developer, if I'm trying to uh, develop a game and I want to save money and not, you know, develop a 3D graphics API for myself, <laughs> uh, I'll just go buy Unity or License Unreal, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but nothing like that exists for, for pinball. So 
um, I wanted to ask, what is the actual development process for this? Is there an engine? Is there software that you kind of developed for this or, or licensed? How does that work? The the game is coded in Unity. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know terribly much about code. I know like how to direct it in the sense of like we need the modes to do this, the lights to do that, the sound, the visual. Like I can put together the sequences like that. I couldn't type a single line of script or anything like that. So some of that is kind of lost upon me. But uh, the the game is coded in Unity. Um, as far as really? like, the, the physical assets that we're doing in the game, uh, a, a lot of that just comes from the fact that the team that has designed it has been working in the company for nine years, ten years, yeah, nine or ten years now. I don't even know, since I was a kid. <laughs> and um, just across that period of time, everybody on that team was very behind the scenes learning how to do the, I hate to say like real work of it, but kind of the <laughs> real work of it, of making these shots work and, you know, coming up, creating original things to get put in the game. Because all of us can say, I want a ramp here and I want a Michael Myers that pops out behind a hedge there and I want three upper play fields. <laughs> we can, we can all sit down and do that. Making it and actually walking around the building, gathering up the parts, forming it, making it, and not only making it once, but making it so you can do it 1,700 times comes from just years and years of experience of but working in pinball. that's I wanted pinball. to ask you about uh, specifically, because pinball layouts are like, this is a place where millimeters matter, right? Like my TMNT machine has the most brutal ramps ever, right? And you compare that to like my ramps on Alien and like the millimeter wideness is, it's practically the same, but it's just a slightly different angle. Slightly different spot. One of them, it, it, one of them feels great and Mm -hmm. the other feels it's a Rattler. Right. So when you're trying to prototype that, this is what I don't understand about pinball design. If I'm trying to prototype a gameplay feature, you know, I've cracked out Unity and just thrown some code together and and tried something and seeing if it felt fun. But you're talking about like physically building hardware Mm -hmm. and trying to play it. Like, do you just glue like where the ramps are on the table? How do you, how do you like start to prototype a game like that? So uh, one of the biggest things that's helped us with that is a lot of things that we do, we have in house. So like, I can't Mm -hmm. speak for how Stern or Jersey Jack designs their games, but I imagine they can't just make the ramp that minute and put it in the game. That's something we actually kind of have the ability to do with our own like (laughs) metal company being in like one of the designers of our team started his own metal company before he became a pinball designer. And wow. Like, so the fact that we can all stand there and go, we think we want the ramp shot to be here. This angle looks good. We've shot the ball in that direction a few times because we always wire up the coils and the flippers, whatnot, so we can bat at literally nothing and then start putting things in. (laughs) And, um, being able to be like, hey, Luke, this is how we want this. This is what we want it to do. And he's been making these metal parts and ramps and things like that and wire and welding up the habit trails himself and things like that for so long. He's literally able to just go do it. <laughs> he's able so to say, cool. okay, this is how I have to draw it. This is how we're going to have to bend it up this way, bend it up this way, screw it in. I'm going to go weld up a habit trail. And we're able to just 
do it right there. Like within a couple hours, we can have so, the ramp. So you put together like a prototype of it and put mm-hmm. it on the table with like flippers powered up. Mm-hmm. Do you have code behind it at that point or are you just shooting it to kind of feel how it how It's it It's mostly just working flippers at that point, like flippers that can just shoot. And yeah, honestly, before we even get to that point, we're usually just drawing on a blank piece of board. And then we start kind of putting down some shots and like throwing it with our hand. And okay, like we've got something here that we think is probably really going to work. Let's get some flippers wired up, start shooting and whatnot and do it that way. You mentioned like little details like the Michael Myers popping up from behind the bush and, and mm-hmm. these ramps and things. Are Do you have some of, some favorite details from the Halloween pinball table that you, you feel like people should appreciate mm-hmm. or notice or that you really enjoyed sort of designing and imagining? Uh, hmm. Favorite details. That's a good one. Uh, I, I mean, I love the the hedge Michaels. I love the rules for hedge multiball. I love the feature of Michael Myers on a servo popping out behind a hedge like he does in the movie then going back <laughs> it's so much fun it's like playing whack-a-mole with michael myers behind three different <laughs> hedges and it, i just absolutely adore that <laughs> that that's, that's a thing that was actually my father's idea originally was uh <laughs> was the michael myers <laughs> popping up behind the hedge and um and another great thing about the halloween game is because of the in-lane lifters that go to the flip the, the flippers there's mm-hmm. so many places in the game we can hide the ball to have it sneak down and come out at those lifters, which is really good at generating the effect of Michael Myers sneaking away, popping back up out of nowhere. Because the biggest yeah, thing can to I me, say something yeah, about absolutely. that for people that haven't haven't played the game? So the thing that makes Halloween really special is as you play it, you'll shoot the ball, and what Bug is talking about is you'll hear this junk, and then the ball pops up and it's at your flipper. And you have to react just like that and shoot the ball. And yep. it, it it makes the game so terrifying because <laughs> if you don't pay attention, it's going to drain. So, so the ball is basically like a yes. slasher to you. Yeah. Sorry, much. go on, Bug. I didn't want to cut yeah. you off. Oh, no, you're absolutely to explain fine. that to our listeners. Yeah, no, it's just the, the elements like that are the things that when you're thinking about like, okay, this is the theme we're designing how can we integrate that theme into the layout? I That's like my absolute favorite part of the design process. And also what I think is the most important is making sure that the theme you're doing works on that layout. So, and, and we're so willing to just absolutely change everything on a play field and go back and fix things until it speaks to that theme. Because originally with this layout, we were designing it as John Wick, as we've stated yeah. before. And then as we locked up the Halloween license and knew that the game was going to become that we were like, okay, we got to change a whole lot of things about this. <laughs> and then oh. we did, and we got it absolutely worked out to be what I think is a great integrated theme for that title. And mm-hmm. um, going forward in the future, it's, it's, it's such an important part to us is how well does the theme actually make sense to the layout? And mm-hmm. like, cause there's so many things when people think like, I want what would be a good example without giving away future titles. Um, <laughs> I, they're like, Do you want me I to just want, pick a movie like, out of a hat? James. Yeah, yeah, sure. Go ahead. Avatar. <laughs> Avatar. Okay, so if they want Avatar, they probably want to get put into the giant tree at some point. Or I haven't seen Avatar in like ten years. That was a. <laughs> You're so on the money, though. <laughs> yeah, people like, really want to see be in the that giant tree. <laughs> tree, and they want to have like the robots that are walking through. Like, how can we lock a ball in one of those giant robots and and things like that? So, uh, usually. I just I absolutely love that part of the process is 
that's the theme. How do we do this? And then trying mm-hmm. to figure that out because it's yeah. it's just so much fun. Well, it's it's a fantastic game, and yeah, you know, like I said, I've got I have right now Godzilla in my collection. I've mm-hmm. got Jurassic Park. I I've got I've Twilight Zone. I've got big collections. And and genuinely, Halloween is it's one of the games I play every single day. It is amazing. So rocket listeners, uh, you know, this is a game. It's hard to find. I had to work really hard to get mine. You can do it if you're interested, but yeah, spooky ships, a good product and, uh, check out what they're doing. That's a good segue to, to say, uh, where can people find you online and where can people find spooky online? Yeah, so, I mean, we have SpookyPinball.com. We are on Facebook, Instagram. Uh, If you're looking to buy a game, uh, email squirrel at SpookyPinball.com. Don't ask me how to spell squirrel on the spot. I can't do it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, Otherwise, your local distributor, like the main pinball distributors, pretty much all of them carry us, I think, at this point. So uh, you can always check in with them on, like, what spooky titles are available to purchase and whatnot. And, uh... Yeah, we're on YouTube as well. I have a lot of videos going over the Halloween and Ultraman layout and explaining how to play it and just overall like hanging out and playing it and having a good time and talking about it. And uh, there's going to be more videos coming to there uh, in the future as well for things like that. And uh, yeah, keep an eye out on Pinside. We're always very active on there. We like to see what people have issues with the games, ideas they may have, what Mm. they like about the games, what they hope our future games are. All sorts of things like that. So we're always keeping a close eye on that because we like to stay pretty involved with the customer base so that we can make sure we give them what they want. Thank you. I totally echo that. Thank you for coming on. And uh, I had no idea that that process was so like fun and tactile and uh, and strategic. Mm-hmm. So that was really cool to learn about. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Brianna, why don't you tell me what you are up to this week? I am ordering uh, extra Rocket t-shirts, which are still available right now on rocket-merch.com. You should do that. Please remember, we have our special scam edition for you to go buy, which is just the normal Rocket t-shirt in a different color that costs $20 more. <laughs> so, did we not take you weren't on you didn't, that week. Yeah, no, I yes. didn't know. <laughs> yes, so there's a scam edition That's of freaking the funny. t-shirt. Yes, same thing, but in purple with black. Uh, it's a black t-shirt with purple lettering, and that's the scam edition. I really so like it. More of those. Uh, other than that, just to be really honest with you, if you can't tell, uh, Jim is going to cut out a ton of my coughing on the episode this week. I'm just trying to get better so I can get back to work. Uh, I've got a hell of a virus. Yeah, I I hope that you feel better soon. I'm sorry that it's carrying I, on. I'm on the upswing. Yes, good to know. Uh, this week I'm just working. <laughs> Let's see, I got back last week and nothing's going on now. Uh, it's an off week for Formula One, so I guess <gasps> I guess I've got nothing going on in my life. I have two of my girlfriends. They're trying to get me into NASCAR and watching oh. that. So, uh, and they're they're pushing me really hard. Like it's peer pressure hard. So why NASCAR? It's just what they watch. Okay. They're they're huge into it. Uh, right. So I'm gonna I'm gonna see if I can watch that this weekend. You know, uh, Kimi Raikkonen, ex Formula One driver, did a NASCAR race recently. Okay. 
he was he he did get crashed into and had to retire but oh no oh well he's fine <laughs> you know it's i know this is not something we usually talk about in rocket but it just seems like a lot of those f1 drivers are just unusually hot like statistically yes. like it's just yes they are it is it just seems statistically unlikely you would have that many extremely attractive men all near each other and i can't figure that I, out i've said my selling point for it is it is a boy band it's like being yeah. a fan of a boy band who drive mechs that's what <laughs> it is uh that's okay. the sport uh, I love it. <laughs> all right brianna let us go uh oh tell me where i can find you online uh you can find me at brianna Wu on twitter.com and you can find me at doom quasar everywhere on the internet and my work at youtube.com slash polygon. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Rocket. If you liked it, and I hope, as always, that you did, please leave a five-star review and only a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to review podcasts. Wow, look at you. Oh, indie, indie podcast reviewer. I don't know what you are. Listen, I don't know you. You don't know me. <laughs> All right. Stick around if you're a subscriber, of course. We're going into our special bonus segment, Rocket Booster, for subscribers. But if not, I will see you, as always, next week. This episode of Rocket is terminated. 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 Terminated.